Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be together, isn't it? Today is a little bit different of a talk. As you know, we have for some time been going through the book of Romans, and we came to a place um, a few weeks back where we talked, as Sue's been talking there, about God's sovereignty, God ruling, God being in control. And um, it, it's pretty confronting. We heard things such as God raises people up for this purpose that he might harden them. Uh, and that he shows, he hardens some people and he shows mercy on others. Um, and that made, us, that made Paul ask some questions. Well then, why does God still blame us? Who can resist his will? And, should we, and then he says, but who are you to talk back to God? You, what I really want to encourage you to do, if you want to look at that passage, you've got to go back to the sermon I preached on the 20th of February. Uh, listen to that. Uh, and it spoke also, we heard in chapter 8, about God predestining people and calling them and then justifying them and then glorifying. Now, what I said was then this will bring some questions to your mind. So please bring those questions to me. But I'm just going to give you a little bit of background into what we, the, the background for that, and then I will ask you some questions. But if God is sovereign, that means he is free to exercise his authority and his power over creation as he pleases. As he pleases. Um, and uh, the Bible tells us that God does that. In every place, in every time. I haven't got a microphone. Can you hear me all right? I didn't realise that. Sorry. Uh, and he has also the right to choose who he chooses. Uh, because all humanity is heading for destruction. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one, Paul tells us, who seeks God. There's no one who does good. So out of, that's all of us. And that would say we're all finished. And out of those, God, in his grace, chooses people to be saved. That means that to become a Christian is first and foremost a work of God. Now, John 1 tells us, Yet to all who did receive him, he came to his own, they didn't receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, so they weren't in a line in a, in a family tree. Not born of human decision. In other words, they didn't decide. Or of a husband's will, as a husband and wife might get together and say, let's have a child. But born of God. And uh, it's very clear in the first part of John that uh, that is born of his spirit or to be born again. Now, what this means simply is that either... God is ruling and making decisions over humanity in this world or humans are making decisions and God is stuck and limited by human decisions. Now, it's really clear in Scripture. You can't have both of those. God is ruling. He makes decisions. We are subject to his will. He is not subject to our wills. Okay. All of this, you would have to say, brings us some questions. Does it? What questions does this make us ask? I've got six questions that people have 
brought to me over in different ways, but, but I want to make sure I've covered them. What questions does it bring to you? It brings lots, let's be honest. Okay, I'll deal with what... As I deal with these things that people have brought in various ways and in conversation, I want you to understand this. If we are going to address an issue, and there's no bigger issue in the world than this, there is no bigger issue, we can only look to Scripture because if we use our, I'm going to say, puny human brains to try and understand this sort of thing, we're not going to get there. We need to hear God's word on this matter. And one of the problems is against when we talk about us not having free choice is the heart of the Western world, Westernism as we know it, is if I do things right and get things right, I will have control over my life. I will end up with this perfect life where everything's in order, everything's in control. And well, really when I say everything's in control, I mean this, I am in control. There's nothing more destructive actually than this because this comes from the, the very first sin where God, uh, where, where Adam and Eve said wanted to be as the devil tempted them, to be like God, to be the one who rules and decides how life should be. So people, and, and then this creeps into the Christian world and people make assumptions. God doesn't want you ever to be sick. God doesn't want you not to be rich. God doesn't want you, blah, blah, blah. God, as soon as you say, you're putting words into God's mouth, <laughs> you've got to make sure you're right about that. And, and the problem with that is, is that that view, just say what happens if you're born in India or Ethiopia or the Ukraine, you were born into a, somewhere that's, that is in poverty and we would say, aha, we're a lucky country, Australia is the lucky country don't we? And what we mean by that is it's easy. But if that causes us to elevate ourselves to this place where we're in control of our lives, we're not in the lucky country at all. We're actually in a dangerous country. And somebody who's born in the slums of a poor country who becomes a Christian and just trusts God for their life, how long or short that life is, is actually a blessed person. Does that make sense to you? In, in, biblical, in, in the Bible, in Acts 17, Paul's preaching and he says this, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands, as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives everyone, sorry, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them and the exact places they should live. God destined that we would be born in Australia. but Not everyone's born in Australia. Apologies to Irish people. That's okay. But uh, for most of the rest of us are born in Australia. But um, God destined that for us. And we should thank him for that, but no less if you were born in India, you should thank God for that too. Or Ireland. Thank God for people born in Ireland. Adds a lot of jokes to the world. It does. Yeah. Um, 
What I'm saying is God is in control. We are not in control. The world is out of our control, but it's not out of God's control. The great confession of the Christian is Jesus is Lord. That is not, I've heard people say, make Jesus Lord in your life. You can't do that. Confess that he is Lord in your life. Admit that it's true because he is Lord already over all. Okay. Number one, this was uh, asked. So what does this mean if God's in control about faith? If God's in control, does faith trump God's call? God's choice. In other words, is God in control but he's waiting for us to have faith and then once we have faith, then he can do his will in our lives. Is, it was asked like this, is faith the last word or the clincher? Now, if we talk about faith, I'd also add to that that the two things that often go together in the New Testament are repentance and faith. Uh, and they are human actions, but is that all that they are? Because we know that if anybody's going to become a Christian, they will repent and believe or repent and have faith. Uh, John 3.16 says, Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But as I said before, the Bible tells us that we're all slaves to sin and a slave can't change the situation. So... What the Bible, it, it, how it describes it, if we look carefully in the New Testament, is we see that the Holy Spirit does a work in people to bring them new life, and from this flows repentance and faith. Now, I'll show you some Bible verses. John 6.65, Jesus went on to say to them, This is why I told you, no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. Okay? Or Jesus said, I, you did not choose me, I chose you. Okay, so he's saying that, that, that God's got to do a work to enable that belief or that following. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we hear, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Grace through faith, the gift of God. It's not by works, so no one can boast. So faith comes to us essentially from God. In Acts eleven eighteen. 18... Uh, uh, the people are hearing about what Peter's been saying about the Gentiles becoming Christians. And it says, when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then even to Gentiles, God has granted or given repentance. That leads to life. God is giving repentance to people. He's giving faith to people. And in 2 Timothy 2.25, Paul's talking about when people oppose your faith, Gently instruct them in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. That's what we do, isn't it? We teach people, we pray for them, and what do we do? We hope that God will give them repentance and faith. Isn't that the life? Of, if you've got non-Christian family, isn't that what you're always doing? Yep, okay. I'll say again, I, I talk about evangelism and prayer in that sermon on the 20th, so go to that. And an example of, I hope you can hear what I'm saying. The Spirit comes to us, He works in our lives, and sometimes the Holy Spirit works on people for, um, for a moment, and sometimes He's working on them for years, and He brings in the ability to repent and trust in Jesus and be saved. 
Uh, in Acts 16, verse 13, it says this, uh, Paul and Luke and them, it says, On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city to the gate to the river, where we expected to find the place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who were gathered there. One who, uh, of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God, which means she, she understood the Old Testament. She uh, was a Jew. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Then she said, if you consider me a, a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she was baptised and the members of her household and so on. So the Lord opened her heart to receive the message and she believed and she was baptised. God opens people's hearts. They believe. They do good works. That always follows. So repentance and faith are necessary for every true Christian and these are a consequence of the work of the Spirit. They are not the cause of the work of the Spirit. Otherwise, we're saying you must have faith, you must repent and then you'll receive the Holy Spirit, which is, that is salvation by works. Okay. That's the first question. What's the place of faith if God is in control? Second question if God's ruling over this world, this is a very modern question, why are there people bombing others and killing children and so on? It's a pretty good question really, isn't it? It's, and and um, uh, it's asked in different ways. If there's a good God, why is there suffering in the world? And uh, there's suffering actually in every person really at the end of the day, isn't there? We all to a degree and we will all suffer. I, I, I want to just give three things here. This is not a total summation of everything I know or believe on this, but the first point is this. Understand God sees this world from a different point of view than we do. And we see death and suffering as the greatest and most final disasters. God doesn't see it in that way. We know that he suffered when he sent his son to die for us, don't we? So God doesn't see a world with no suffering. He sees a world where he suffers. And Psalm 116, which is a psalm about affliction and suffering and, and death, in the middle of it, it says this, which is a shocking statement, but listen to it carefully. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. When one of God's faithful servants dies, that is precious to God. Now, that's a little bit shocking of us, isn't it? What's the worst thing that can happen to us? Death. And God says, precious in my sight is the death of one of my... Why? Because they're coming home to him. And they're his. So it's actually, can you see what I'm saying? From our point of view, from God's point of view. Now, what's this got to do with this subject? Understand, he's, if, if, if he's numbered our days, and there's a number of passages in Scripture that tells he's numbered our days... Then in war or in peace, no one is lost. No believers are lost. And if God is predestining, no children are lost either, who are his, precious in his sight. Do you understand what I'm saying? In, in Acts 12, we hear this, and if you look at your Bible, it'll say, Peter miraculously saved. And he is. He's in jail. He's about to be executed. And an angel shakes open the doors and out he comes. Right? Just above that, James, another one of the 12, is killed for his faith. 
What's God doing there? Obviously, James wasn't as good as Peter. And God said, well, I can do without James, but Peter, I'm bringing him, I'm keeping him down. No, that's not what's going on. That's sarcasm. Do you get what I'm saying? God knows what he's doing in life and in death. And James was just as much a witness in the way that he went to his death as Peter, who later went to his death. Who can fathom these things? All we know is this. God is in our, our lives are in God's hands. No, God is in our hands. That's not what I'm saying. He knows what he's doing in all things. So no baby, no child, no mother, no father, and no soldier is lost to God in a war where he is ruling and he is predestining. Does this, is that clear? That's point A on this subject. Point B, the, in the Bible, it clearly says God rules over the rise and fall of nations. Doesn't it? One, one nation rises, God sends one nation to wipe out another nation. Read Daniel carefully. It says that in Daniel, it says ahead of time, this nation will rise up over that one and that one will rise up over that one and eventually the Roman nation will come and the Saviour will be born. So God is in control of these things. And the third point on this is, does this mean war is good? Nah, it's horrible, isn't it? All suffering is horrible. None of this is to say it's good. War is basically about pride and wanting to rule over and be powerful. And it's about causing harm and death and suffering to other people. It is horrible. But all we can keep in mind is this. In Genesis 50, 20, we know the story of Joseph and Joseph says to his brothers, who were rotten to him, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is being done now, the saving of many lives. What looks horrible in this world, God is still working in it. And we can't get that. The other thing we can't fully get is that in all of this, this is the fourth point on this, God uses human evil to accomplish his plans. He hands people over to their sin sometimes, well, lots of times, to accomplish his plans. That's what Romans 1 tells us. Okay. The third point, third question. Uh, are, you, are you with me right in this? Yep. Okay, good. This is heavy. I know. I'm trying. got a, two points. Preach his sermon and keep you awake. Um. Does God's sovereignty mean that there's no human responsibility? Well, imagine that. A child saying, Dad and Mum rule over me, so I've got no responsibilities. Yeah. Or, the boss rules over me, so I've got no responsibilities, says the worker. Yeah, right. No, because the boss rules over you, you've got responsibilities. Because Mum and Dad rule over you, child, you've got responsibilities. Because God is sovereign over all, that doesn't diminish our responsibilities. It says we've got Incredible responsibilities. Does, does that make sense? Especially for Christians who know that Jesus is Lord of all and the King and the ruler. Therefore, our responsibility is to submit to him and obey him, isn't it? Anybody who has faith must have good works. James tells us that, doesn't he? It's obvious. God is worthy of all honour and praise and glory because he is alone God. And the Bible tells, him, tells us, praise him. All the earth, praise him, all you creatures. Well, that's right. If he's God, what's our responsibility? Praise him above all else. 
And also, the Bible tells us clearly that humans are responsible for their own sin. None are without excuse. All have sinned and every person who has any sin on judgment day will be judged accordingly. So if you're in Christ, though, all your sins are forgiven. The only way to face God on judgment day is through faith in Christ. Any other way is death. Eternal. Okay. So does does God's sovereignty mean there's no human responsibility? Absolutely not. Point four. How do I know if I'm chosen? That's a good one. Some days I have big doubts and some days I have big sins. Is that anyone here? Yes. Okay. Doubts and sins. That's our lives. Now, I just, and I often say this, but I'd ask this question again. Does a non-believer really sit around and say, am I truly born again? Do any non-believers say that? No, that's, a, that's a Christian thing to say, okay? Because a non-Christian doesn't care about those things. Does a, does a non-Christian say, does God still love me because I've just sinned? No, non-Christian doesn't say that. The Holy Spirit brings a conviction of sin, so therefore the knowledge and, and the conviction of sin that comes to us is proof of the presence of the Holy Spirit working in us. It's actually a sign of God's presence. It's more of a problem when people say they don't sin, which is, as John says, they're deceiving themselves and the truth isn't in us. So if you're wondering, am I really chosen? Ask this question again. Have I trusted in Jesus? Have you trusted in Jesus? And, and I think that you, you'll say yes. A Christian will say, I do trust in Jesus. I'm just worried about where I am. Then ask a second question. Has Jesus really done enough to save me? What's the answer to that one? Yes. Yes. Ask him ask a different way. Has he really forgiven all my sins? What's the answer to that one? Yes. Okay. Is he really the author of my faith? Did he really start it? Yes. Is he really the perfecter of my faith? Yes. Okay. So if you ask ask those questions, then I think it's obvious when you say, am I really a Christian? Uh, As I say, what happens is the devil comes to us with all sorts of... um, he, he tries to steal our joy, and when he does that, he, what he wants mostly is for you to take your eyes off of what Jesus has done. So when you ask yourself those questions about Jesus, you'll be brought back to the truth. In, in other words, when you have doubts, don't go anywhere else but the cross. Go to Christ. See the fullness of what he's done, and your joy will be there again. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus when you're not doubting too, by the way. <laughs> yeah, took them both. Okay, five, and this is sort of more conversational, but uh, it's about, let, let's say, just imagine this, is, this question might have come from a young mother. Maybe not in these words, but pretty much in those words. How can I have peace if I don't know what's going to happen? I'm not in control of anything, not even my children. Yeah. Do you remember being young mums? How much peace is there in life? Hardly anything. Only for about 23 years or something like that. But okay. 
And with this is the knowledge that Jesus has promised trouble in our lives. How can we have peace when my life feels like it's always undone? It's an endless battleground and I always lose. I put it like this. You know, the Old Testament is full of promises that God would send a saviour. Yep. It's full of promises that God is the one who saves his people. And there are lots of prophecies that a time will come when that will happen. In fact, some of those even sort of feels like there's a bit of a time going on and some years given and things like that in Daniel and stuff. There's a time where God's going to send his saviour. And then God fulfills his plan and he sends his saviour just as he said he would on just the right day. Now, what's happening in that is that there are millions of people, all sinful, making sinful decisions, and somehow through all of those handing over, doing that, God brings about his plans just at the right time. Human, none of human wills upsets God's plan. Now, what am I saying this for? If God could promise something would happen and then do it, then I can see that in a messy life, and we all have messy lives, the only bed that we can rest in with hope for our future is in God's promises for the future on the basis of the fact that he does what he said he would in the past. I've really said that badly. God's sovereign over history. You can rest in that bed. It's nice to rest in bed, isn't it? And have a good sleep. In that he will do all that he pleases as he promised. And that promise includes you and his plan for you. When it's messy, that has not changed. In the time between when God promised he would send a saviour and when he sent the saviour was a whole lot of mess and a whole lot of people. And it still happened. And in our lives, God's made a promise over us through faith in Jesus Christ. We are going to be saved. We will get there because he's the perfecter of our, and the author of our faith. And that promise does not change because there's mess all around. hope that makes sense. Isaiah 46.10 says this, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. That's what God says. I'm going to do what I please. And by the way, it's a good purpose for us. All right. The last question. It's one that we always ask and uh, it's a big one. Uh, if God is sovereign, did he create sin? No one's ever thought of that one before, have they? Yeah. And of course, to understand all of this, we've got to understand the mind of God. And, and I do not profess to understand the mind of God, but I will make some things clear to you. Number one, God has no evil in him. He is perfect. He is sinless. He is holy in all respects. He does not ever sin. God never does. Do you understand that? And God also does not cause people to sin. I'm, James 1 says that. If you're being tempted, don't say to yourself, God's tempting me. No, okay. That's point one. Point two of this, or point, we'll see all this A and B because I've got all these points going everywhere, is God planned to save the world from its sin before he created the world. 
right? So I've got to hold this along with the other one. God never sins. Peter says in 1 Peter 1, uh, he's talked about us being redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, who was chosen before the creation of the world to be the lamb for sacrifice. So sin, he was the saviour for sin before the creation of the world. God does not sin, but his plan includes a saviour for our sin before sin came into the world. Okay. At this point, you're going to go, my mind can't get this. Well, I hope so anyway. But we do get a hint because of why this would be so. Okay. Why would this be so? But I want to ask you, and this is a really poor example, but I'm going to ask you, I'll ask you anyway. Why would someone, let, let's just say, write a book, a love story, where somehow the couple gets separated and the man has to fight and fight and fight to pursue the woman and get her back? Why would, he write, why would you write that story? It's a very familiar story. She's going to love him so much more. She's going to understand the depths of his love. Do you understand? That's a very poor example, but I'll put it another way. It comes from Ephesians. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. So we were dead in our sins. Christ made us alive. It is by grace you've been saved. It's by God's gift that you were saved when you were dead. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly realms. So he's not only saved us, he's lifted up to be heirs of God. In order that, or the Greek word there says for the purpose that, in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness through Christ Jesus. In other words, it's saying he, we were dead in our sins, he saved us from our sins, he raised us up to life, he made us his children, princes and princesses, you could say, so that we might see the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed through his kindness in Christ Jesus. That we might know the depths of his grace, which is to know what? It's to know who God is. That we might know God himself. You see, the fact that we... We're all rebellious, we were all sinful, we were all God-haters and in his pure mercy and his pure grace he saved us. That is the thing which shows us the character of God more than anything else. Isn't it? We know who God is because of that. See, when Moses appeared, uh, God appeared to Moses, he appeared with words as well as a fair bit of earthquakes and stuff and he says he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord or Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. That's the character of God. Yeah. How could you know that God is compassionate unless you receive compassion in your state of hardship? How would you know that he was gracious unless you saw his grace overcoming your sin? That he was slow to anger unless you'd done something wrong to deserve his anger? How would you know that he was abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving? How could you know that he was a forgiving God without sin? I, I, I know I'm 
I'm almost uh, stepping out here. How could you know he was holy though unless you knew that he would punish all sin? Either in the cross or in hell eternally. How do we know the character of God? He has revealed it in his plan for the ages through his son who is the exact representation of his being and ultimately that comes through the cross where we see the grace and the love of God and the humility of God as God himself, the holy, righteous and perfect God who is to be praised above all, bears our sin and punishment for in himself. There we see the truth of God. He is good. He is gracious. We could never understand that without sin and redemption through the cross. Does that make sense? That's only one hint. I I don't pretend to know what God's doing, but understand this. We know the depths of God's character because of the way God has planned. And nothing will cause us to worship him more than to know that we are sinners deserving of death, that he is saved by his pure love and grace. On the day of uh, the crucifixion, um, Pilate mocked Jesus and he said to the people of the Jews, here is your king. And what he was saying is, look at this pathetic bloke. He's been beaten up. Here's your king, people. He was actually, uh, he was prophesying the truth really, wasn't he? Jesus was the king. And what he didn't know is that all of the glory of God was in that man in all his weakness right at that time. There was a revelation of God to the praise of his glorious grace. We only know the glory of God's grace through his redemption story that is lived out through the whole of Scripture. Saviour who loved us so much that he came to save us. I want to finish with this uh, passage from Ephesians 1 that we've talked about a bit in the weeks gone by. It says, In love he predestined us. So, okay, predestination, when we think about it, God's choosing, God's choosing. It's like we've got this mechanical typewriter. No, no, no. In love God predestined us. It's all of love. For adoption to sonship, to be his children through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. How good is God to save us? I'm going to pray. Father, I pray that you would take these uh, words and thoughts which are, are fallen and so insufficient of the mystery of your plan of redemption. But I pray, Father, that you would bring us life out of them, that you would bring us peace, that you would give us joy, that we might live in all of the fullness it is to be called your children, that we might live in peace as we rest in your sovereignty. And, Father, that you would use all of this to cause us to do the good works you've called us to and to live simple and humble lives, not trusting in the things of this world, but trusting in you. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.